legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm your host, Gary Michaels, and we're really excited about our guest today. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware of who she is. Her name is Mariel Hemingway. She's an actress, activist, author, and renowned health and wellness speaker and advocate who spent a lifetime studying how mental and physical health are linked to be a voice in the ever-changing conversation around living a healthier, more meaningful life. And I so really want to get into this with you, Mariel, because that's really what I believe in too. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's get right into this. A, a lot of our listeners will already know your family name and know that you are the granddaughter of famed novelist Ernest Hemingway, although you never met him since he passed away four months before your birth. How was his presence felt in your life growing up? Well, I grew up here. I live in, in Idaho right now. I grew up here, and it was a place that my, my grandfather spent a great deal of time, especially in the winter, especially during hunting season. He loved this part of the world, and my dad moved up here because he had met my mother, who was a native Idahoan, and he'd come up here with his father, gone hunting, and what have you, and he fell in love with it. So Idaho and being outdoors was a big part of my childhood. But it wasn't until I was probably seven or eight years old and everybody skis here. So I was on the mountain and I remember getting on a chairlift with somebody. They were asking, I was I was young, I was a little girl, and they were asking me, you know, what I was doing and who I was and what my name was. And I said, I was Mariel Hemingway, you know, the way you do. And they like stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you part of the Hemingway Hemingway family and is your grandpa and I was like yeah I think so and it wasn't until that moment that I realized there was something like different about my family so growing up here and being in a small town nobody made a big deal of it but people from the outside sort of did but then my career Going to Los Angeles, traveling more, going to New York City, you know, you realize, oh my gosh, that the impact that that name had started to dawn on me. And I've always thought it was an incredible honor to have this amazing heritage. You know, my father spoke about my my grandfather, mostly hunting and fishing and and things like that. So I didn't have an understanding of him as this famous writer until I was old enough to really read his books. And I read The Old Man in the Sea, the first book. And then my father took me to Paris when I was about 11 years old. And I read at the same time A Movable Feast, which is my grandfather's book about moving to Paris with my grandmother Hadley in the 20s. 
And my father was born then, and my father spent the first 10 years of his life in Paris. So that had a tremendous impact on me. And being in this amazing city, you know, the city of lights, Paris, and just taking this all in, even though I was a young girl, I felt this power of what it meant to be a Hemingway. It it started to really unfold for me. And I've always been just greatly honored to be a part of the family. Now, did that come with some hiccups? <laughs> that was what I was going to ask you about that, because most people hear of the good things. And it was interesting because on one of our earlier podcasts, Nico Walsh, who's the grandson of Muhammad Ali, he was saying most people know about the good things, but we had some struggles too. Yeah. It was family of great creatives, of great minds, right? right? My grandfather had one of the great minds. He changed the way Americans wrote literature. You know, he is known for saying, if why use five words if one is better? I totally mutilated that. Hey, <laughs> anyway. it sounded good. It sounded <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> anyway, so these creative minds also came with the burden of a creative mind sometimes has this amazing empathy, this amazing pain that they deal with. Oftentimes, I think it's because of trauma, right? My grandfather had a tremendous amount of trauma in his young adult life. You know, he went off to the Spanish Civil War and he was shot at. And, you know, there are things that happened in his life, which I think that trauma probably caused him to be in some mental anguish, physical anguish, what have you, which caused him then to be a heavy drinker. Now, back in the day, he was like a man's man and, you know, he could drink you under the table and all of those things that sort of we glorify sure. as a society. But the truth of the matter is, I think he was medicating his own pain, right? That was sort of something that my entire family did. You know, they didn't deal with things with communication. They dealt with it by drinking too much alcohol. And nobody knew back then that that was bad for you. It was just like a thing that you did. It made you more macho. It made you more of a man and what have you. And my father also living under the presence of Ernest Hemingway, living under this name. I mean, it's one thing for me to be the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, but to be the son of the first son of Ernest Hemingway and decided you want to write, hello, I don't know why he made that choice. (laughs) You know, it was tough. It was tough on my dad because I think that he felt unseen and it was just hard for him to make a name for himself in the world. And he drank too much. My mother drank because she had lost her first husband in the Second World War. It was a fighter plane who was shot out of the sky and they'd only been married for 10 minutes. Right. But, you know, and I grew up in the 70s and nobody was dealing with their issues. It just, it wasn't what you did. You didn't talk about things, right? You didn't talk about your pain or your problems. So I think that that's why addiction became a big problem for my family. Then my oldest sister, she did too many drugs in the late 60s, early 70s. And I think that that was a trigger for some other mental health struggles like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. You know, she's never been quite the same. And then my middle sister, Margo, took her life in 1996. You know, she'd been taking drugs and drinking for years. And she was also struggling with feeling unseen and misunderstood and all kinds of things that I think that was sort of a a family pattern 
then I came along like so terrified that I was going to end up like the rest of the family that I was like, I'm going to be like a health fanatic and I'm going to save everybody. And luckily, my decisions did lead me to finding a sense of peace and balance in my life. Sure. I was lucky that way. And the stuff that you're sharing about your family situation, the Hemingways were known, of course, but so many families in America and the world face similar situations of not feeling heard and not feeling appreciated. 100%. 100%. It's not unique to me. And that's why I speak all around the country and Canada about my story, not because I think it's such an, oh, this is such an amazing story, but because it's not. Because it's so common. It's so calm when I get in front of the stage and I talk about my childhood and cleaning up broken glass and, you know, the fighting that my parents were doing after, you know, drinking too much and having people over and thinking as a little girl that I was going to save these people like that. So misguided and but so many people come up to me and it's like, I have the same story. I have the same story. It's the same emotional impact that it had on them as a child. And I understand that. You know, so many people are struggling with the same thing. They are. And it's interesting. I I put a quote out this morning to my team is a picture of two people that are have fallen into a hole in the field. And there's one guy at the bottom just sitting there sulking. And there's one guy chipping away at the side of the dirt to make stairs coming out. And it's this is about the two choices life gives every person. Either you sit, sulk, and dwell on the unfair life, or you could try and figure out how to make the bad situations work in your favor. Right. 100%. And it's not one size fits all. What works for me may not work for you or somebody else, right? It's always about first understand you, understand your story, be very clear about that, and also be clear that some of it is not even about you. Right. right. Sometimes we're doing habits that have nothing to do with us. Right. We just pick them up because our family has has done that for centuries. We're a They're product like, of our parents. <laughs> That's... We're a product of our environment. Right. Our parents. And then we have this beautiful opportunity when you dig in to say, I get to make different choices. I get to say, okay, I know my story. I know I've screwed up a lot in the past and who cares? And I forgive myself. And now I get to choose what's right for me. And sometimes that's a whole negotiation, right? But the one thing that is kind of a constant that I have realized is that lifestyle really does matter. Like how you live your life. How do you wake up in the morning? Do you drink water? Do you get sunshine? Do you get light in your eyes? It's very simple. I call them the seven doctors. Dr. Sun, Dr. Air, Dr. Water, Dr. Exercise, Dr. Nutrition, Dr. Earth, and Dr. Rest. That's awesome. They're, they're available 24 hours a day and they're free. That lifestyle, that's just being, having a conscious lifestyle. And instead of thinking, oh, what a pain in the butt, I got to eat healthy or I got to drink water. Why? I see these lifestyle doctors and choices as part of my great adventure. And you get to. I yes. get Get rid of need to, have to. And, 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 get. and I get to and I want to. Yeah. Because need to and have to is heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> and also those things are, those are natural to us, right? No, those things are natural to us. So they come very easily once you start the habit of getting back into it. And then all of a sudden your body, your mind, even your spirit goes, oh, yeah. this feels right. Yeah. 
So you, at some point, you got into acting at 14, and three years later, you received an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress in Woody Allen's movie Manhattan, which is pretty cool. 17 years old, you're getting a nomination already. What was that like to become an actress in that transition? You're you're a higher teenager, you're, you're moving into adulthood, and you're already into that adult space of being in the movies and the whole thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I had spent a lot of time with adults. My parents did travel a lot. They took me traveling, so I spent a lot of it, a lot of time with adults. So being in that kind of adult world wasn't such a stretch for me. What was surprising to me is that because my household was so kind of there was a lot going on. Like it, there was there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of nobody's talking, and you know there was a lot of tension that I didn't even know existed until I saw what it was like when it didn't exist. So when I made Manhattan, for instance, and there I was in New York City, and I'm on the set with all these people, and it just felt so liberating. It felt so like wow, like nobody's fighting. <laughs> I didn't have to watch myself. I didn't have to fix anything. I was just so attracted to the idea that, oh, there's another part of life that is is not so full of tension and so scary to negotiate, right? But then on the other hand, like when I went to the Cannes Film Festival and I was nominated for an Academy Award at 17, I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, I went to the Cannes Film Festival with my father, and it was so overwhelming. I mean, I thought I was like a land be being sent to the wolves because I did not know what was going on. There was so much attention on me, and I couldn't figure out what I'd done. Were you feeling like you had stepped out of the shadows of your family at that point because it was your act? Well, I didn't think, oh, I've stepped out of my family. I just thought I'd stepped into something so intense. It just felt like attention was intense. There was like, it was, it was a lot. And it was a lot to be a kid in that. And it worried me that I was going to lose my sense of self. Mm -hmm. I always used to worry that I was going to become arrogant and stuck up. I don't know why it was such a worry for me because I thought then people wouldn't like me. And, you know, my whole life was about how to negotiate my family so that people like me so that I would get love, right? They'll pay attention to you. So I was very scared about the attention changing me. And all of a sudden, I wouldn't even know that I'd changed. You know, yeah. So, you know, this show is called Let's Talk Legacy. And the name of our insurance company is Southwestern Legacy Insurance, because we're helping people when they when they do get life insurance to leave a legacy, to leave something behind for those that they love. It's interesting how you talked about wanting to be loved. That's such an important part of our life. It really is. Did your family legacy ever hold you back? Did you feel you reached a point in your life that you could just be you and it didn't matter what your last name was? I think I've reached that point now, but it took me many, many years because I felt a responsibility to being a Hemingway that felt like if you didn't do it with courage and honesty, then this has a lot to do with my grandfather and like real balls, so to speak, <laughs> that you wouldn't have earned it. Now I realize that need for love has to come from myself. And after years and years of reaching outside myself, whatever it was, do by doing a film, by getting 
notoriety through that or going to holistic doctors and hoping they were going to grant me with some knowledge until I realized that the knowledge and the self-love was from me, right? So that mm -hmm. inner wisdom is what I have now tuned into because now I'm like, it's a still a great honor to be a Hemingway. It's an incredible legacy, but my life is my life. And I know with great confidence that I can move forward, you know, just sharing my life in a way that can help others. It doesn't mean it's a great life, you know, I, that I think so highly of myself, but I do love myself. And that was new when that realization hit that self-love wasn't a selfish thing, that it was just actually one of the most incredible feelings in the world because you don't need another person. Doesn't mean I don't have other people that I love and that love me. But truly, that thing, if you can't love yourself, how can you love other people, right? And you can't teach the principles that other people are seeking unless you do love yourself because it will come out. Absolutely. Now, so you had obviously have had a successful career in the movies, done Personal Best, Superman 4, TV shows like Roseanne, Central Park West, Becker, and Law & Order. You've done a lot in your career, but then you pivoted. You pivoted to focus on helping others which I kind of think in theater and in movies and in TV, you're helping others too in a different way. But you pivoted to health, both physically and mentally. Tell me a little bit about that journey and, and how that became a priority for you. It's a priority. I mean, the other stuff has not left, but I have organized it so that it is not how I define myself. In other words, I still produce. I produce television and, and film. But that's not how I need to define myself. I don't need to star in things anymore. But when I do, I'm really grateful and it's fun, right? I see that as fun now. But pivoting to helping people, I mean, I started a foundation called the Mariel Hummingway Foundation, which is a foundation that is a resource navigator for people with mental health issues. We have yet to build that platform, but the intention is to create a platform where you can plug in whatever location you're in in the United States and we can give you options, holistic, you know, psychiatric, this, that, and the other thing for mental health, right? Addiction. I can just point you in a direction. And I don't know what happens. I think when you've lived long enough, you just start to go, even speaking about legacy and the importance of like leaving something behind, it's not so much how I want to make a mark, but it is, it is something that if you can see that your knowledge or your life experience can help another person, it just seems silly not to share that because I'm not an egotistical person. I didn't name it Mariel Hemingway Foundation because of ego. I named it because that name has the power to open doors, right? And people pay attention to that, right? They'll go, oh, well, maybe I'll look at that because I really like Ernest Hemingway's writing or I saw a movie a hundred years ago. <laughs> Ariel Hemingway's in, I'll check it out. But I just think you get to a place where helping people, it's very rewarding. It feels good to know that somebody can be helped by your information, by your story. It seems like everything that you've done in your life, or a lot of it that you're known for, and even talking to you today, I feel this, that you're a storyteller. That is your legacy. Even the questions I've asked you today You've got a story that goes around your answer. God's given you that gift. That's that's awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit what legacy means to you in general. 
I think a, a little bit of what I just said, I think legacy is really about honest and, and truthful life for yourself. And by doing that, I think that you pass on to those that you love, your children, your partner or whatever, you, you pass that weight of a life well lived, honestly, courageously, and you know, compassionately. So I think that legacy is best served by by sharing your journey with others so that they can be better themselves, so that their lives can be better. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like in shining light on tough issues is in some way moving your legacy forward too? Because a lot of people shy away from it and don't want to talk about it. Oh, 100%. I think that me sharing that my family was really struggled and, you know, had all these issues and suicides and mental illness and absolutely by saying, look, we are all human, that helps people because it enables people that don't feel as though they have an important family. It makes them realize we're all important. Because right. we all have similar stories, right? We all come from pain and anguish at some point. I mean, nobody has gone through a life without losing a pet. And then there's grief in that. So you can say, oh, man, I never lost anyone. Yeah, but you've lost, right? We've all lost things. We, You have to learn through our experiences. But when you realize that people that you admire are human like you it's kind of when a child starts to grow up and they become teenagers and they start to understand their parents are not are not infallible that they're not you know they're not gods on the earth and they get they're not superhuman at first they're resentful and angry but then you know as they grow into their own adulthood they're so grateful to know that their parents are like they just love them and they did the best they could right Right. So and that and even when I look at my parents who screwed up a lot, I don't resent them. I don't think anything less of them. I just think they did the best they could with what they were given and what they knew. That's right. People are doing the best they can from their past and the tools that they have and the upbringing they've had, and they're doing the best they can. And God, if our whole world would think like that, yeah, people would learn to accept other people. Absolutely. So. You've had your your acting roles, you've had your author roles, you've had now what you're doing to capture the awareness of mental health. Who's the true Mariel here? Oh my gosh, I, you know, I, I think you're talking to true Mariel. I don't know how to be anybody but myself from the moment. Now, no, that wasn't always anything. Right. But right now I can t honestly tell you that me talking to you here is who I am, right? I only share what I know in the moment. And, you know, you may ask me the same thing tomorrow and the, and the answer might slightly shift a little bit just based on a new experience. So you just never know. Right on. <laughs> well, I understand that you're also working on developing your own podcast now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really fun. I do it with my partner, Melissa Yamabuchi, and it's called Out Comes the Sun Podcast because I wrote a book called Out Came the Sun. And uh, which is about my family's struggles with mental health. And I just feel like the imagery behind the sun coming out is so powerful on so many levels that I've talked about. Yeah, you know, different doctors and mental health and legacy and all kinds of things. So I've really enjoyed that. It's been super fun. We focused it on mental health awareness. 
that's anything that you want. Like a guest can come on and talk about anything because I can relate anything that somebody's doing in the world to their sense of mental balance, right? Everything is interrelated because light, how you live your life affects the way your brain works. Everything's interconnected. So basically I can talk about anything and I'll make it sound like, okay, you just found the most amazing solution for a mental health problem. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Well, gosh, it's really been special spending time with you today. I know that there's a lot of nuggets here that our listeners are going to really enjoy. And if people wanted to reach out to you just to know more about you, hear about your podcast, see what's coming up in your future, how would they get a hold of you? My podcast is Out Comes the Sun podcast, which you can reach on my link tree on my Instagram. And my Instagram is at Mariel Hemingway, and that's M-A-R-I-E-L-H-E-M-I-N-G-W-A-Y. Only one M, people. And, uh, <laughs> and then I have a site, MarielHemingway.co, but I also have the MarielHemingwayFoundation.org. That is linked to the Outcomes the Sun podcast. And the Outcomes the Sun podcast is on, you know, YouTube and Apple and Spotify. And we're actually now just starting. We are broadcast as a radio show in the UK, in Australia, and other places in the United States. No, I'm not remembering at this moment. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us for a, another wonderful episode of Let's Talk Legacy. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Wonderful conversation. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.